I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities. Eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by... Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. Salam, dear listeners. Welcome, welcome to another episode with She Talks Peace. And more important, welcome to a special episode. This is episode 100 of she Talks Peace. I'm still Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, greeting you from Manila. And here is my co-host. Hi, everybody. This is Ayesa, and I'm based here at Al-Bukhari International University in Kedah, Malaysia. Congratulations to the staff and Amina for She Talks Peace, 100 episodes. Can you, can you believe it, Ayesa? We're, we are already doing 100 episodes. I remember when it was 2021, when we first launched this idea, this project, with at the time Dina Zaman, our friend Dina Zaman. Mm -hmm. it, it's rather amazing, don't you think, Ayesa? Yes, it is. And I did watch the first episodes and I really got me hooked up. Yeah, the, the, the topics were very interesting. And the idea of women talking about peace, security issues, and development is just something that is not usual. And I think it's very brave that we have this She Talks piece. How did this idea come about, by the way? You know, what inspired you to come up with this? Especially the title. It's very eye-catching, She Talks piece. It's so unique. Well, first of all, Ayesa, uh, what I'm going to say about how I got into podcasting should give encouragement to everybody listening to us who have always thought about having a podcast but but was uh, too scared. Uh, a friend of uh, a friend of mine during the pandemic said, "I mean, why don't you just do a podcast so you can continue with your advocacy?" Because, you know, I'm a senior citizen, so I'm, I was essentially imprisoned at home, especially by my children who didn't want me infected by COVID. So I told my friend, okay, that's a good idea. And then I said, what's a podcast? <laughs> that's, that's how prepared I was to, to go into podcasting. So dear listeners, if I can start a podcast... So can you. And let me tell you, it is really a very effective way of reaching people, sharing your thoughts, bringing your friends over like a yesa for a chat. In the, in the Philippines, we call them chismis sessions or mm -hmm, gossip mm -hmm. sessions sometimes. <laughs> no, but, these are substantive uh, information sharing, Amina. Absolutely. Not gossip. So that, can be, so that can be encouraged to start their own. But, on the substance uh, part of it, Ayesa, uh, we at the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy were part of a global movement. It's a call to action to stand with women peace builders. And this was launched in uh, 2020 
Actually, we planned for it in 2019. Finally, uh, started the launch uh, January 2020. And our network is the Women's Alliance for Security Leadership. I mean, you've met many of our friends from the Middle East, North Africa, Malaysia, Indonesia. And the goal was to promote the role of women peace builders. So okay. you know, because of COVID, we we decided, okay, let's let's uh, do the podcast. Because all of our face-to-face activities for launching the the call to action uh, had to be scrapped. Nobody could do any kind of a uh, of a um, get together. Remember those days, uh, those uh, right. COVID right. days. And um, the reason that uh, we wanted this call to action was the fact that, in spite of twenty years of uh, thirteen twenty five, everybody in the group was were seeing that the uh, the support the encouragement for women at the grassroots level especially for peace building for conflict prevention it didn't seem to match the hype so we thought mm-hmm. all of us in the different countries so should do something uh, create a program create an advocacy to promote the role of peace builders particularly women so that is the bigger story behind okay. uh, She Talks Peace. And um, our slogan for the call to action was She Builds Peace. And because we are podcast, we are She Talks Peace. So that's... So among the episodes, Amina, I mean, the 99 episodes so far, because this will, this will be the 100th episode. So what is your favorite episode then? Well, I've been thinking about that, and uh, this is very. This episode was very personal to me. I like uh, episode fifty-eight, and mm-hmm. the title of that episode is "Mothers Empower Daughters." My sister Salma, who sometimes comes uh, on board as a, a host when I'm not available, she and I were recalling how we were empowered by our mom, uh, former Senator Santanina Rasul, whom you know very well, Ayesa. Yes. And um, in episode 58, we talked about her remarkable life from being a school teacher to become a, an advocate and the promoter of adult literacy, especially for women, all the way to being elected uh, the first Muslim woman senator during the time of uh, President Cory Aquino. And we told little stories about our, our mother. So that's, okay, that's, that's my nice. favorite. How about you? How about you, Ayesa? I think it would be the last She Talks Peace episode we had where I think episode 99, okay? Uh, that was when we discussed what happened in the meeting in Jogjakarta where ASEAN uh, had a high-level dialogue meeting regarding the WPS agenda. And, and the reason why I like that episode, because for the first time, we were together in an event, and That's we talked right. about that event in, you know, in the podcast. So it, it makes us more really um, comfortable and relate, you know, what happened to that, uh, relate to each other with what happened to that meeting. And it was a fun meeting in, in Jogjakarta. So we'll see how much of the passion and the energy from Jogjakarta will continue in doing work for the WPS agenda in ASEAN. I think Jogjakarta was a, a very good break for many of us because I must say the Indonesian Commission for Women's Empowerment and Protection of Children, they did a great job in combining the very heavy, substantive summit with the field visit. And we were yes. able to see the countryside and go to a peace village, do some shopping, <laughs> and eat a lot of good Indonesian food. So that, I think, really sort of became a break for us at the same time so that we can continue uh, the job that uh, we have all chosen to 
to do, which is to really help find the peace or strengthen the foundation for peace in the, our community. And Ayesa, yes. you know, the, the guest that we're going to have today is somebody who's really there to support women peace builders in the Philippines and everywhere else she's been, right? Yeah, yeah, I was also about to add, like in Jogjakarta, what I found really inspiring was the support also of other diplomats, you know, yeah. in the international community, all these leaders from the international donor community and from governments, you know, uh, including United Kingdom, Australia, right. you know, who are very supportive on how are we going to do this WPS in ASEAN. So we're very lucky that today we have a female diplomat from United Kingdom and she happens to be the first ambassador British a female uh, British ambassador to the Philippines so that is really inspiring you know uh, I think you know uh, our audience will be looking forward to listening to her and but before we call her in let me do a bit of introduction about our guest. Her name is uh, Ambassador Lor Bofis. Okay, so Ambassador Lor Bofis, uh, she has been an ambassador to the Philippines since August of 2021. And this was already the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And then she also was an FCDO director or director for development. I guess this is part of the ODA agencies of UK uh, for Jordan, Iraq, and Palestine in 2019. And she was also Deputy High Commissioner to Nigeria and Head of Mission to Lagos in 2017 and the Head of the UK Department of International Development in Rwanda and in Burundi in 2014. So she's really, you know, she has done a lot of development work. And... Um, Okay. And then Ambassador um, Lore also took up various positions in the UK government as the lead strategic advisor for the British Prime Minister in his role as co-chair of the UN Secretary General's high-level panel on the post-2015 development agenda and the head of the Department of International Development's Department of Overseas Territory. Territories, that's a mouthful. <laughs> and she has worked for the UK mission to the UN as first secretary for development and has prior experience with the UN civil society organizations and private sector. Okay, so I will not go further because it's a long line of introduction, but let's get to know more about our special guest, Ambassador Lore Bofis. Welcome to She Talks Peace. Good morning, and thank you so much. Thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for having me on your 100th episode. It's a particular honor, so thank you very much. Salam, Ambassador Lors. Good to good to see you. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time since we took that flight together from Davao. <laughs> when was it's, that? A couple of days ago. It's been a few days since I see you, saw you, Amina, but it's a, <laughs> it's a joy to see you as always. It's It's really wonderful to have you as our guest for our 100th uh, episode. Because, you know, apart from the fact that you're the first uh, female ambassador from uh, the UK, I really find it so uh, gratifying and so heartwarming to remember how your, your, um, your king, King Charles, invited Filipina nurses to be at his coronation. I mean, royalties from all over would die to get that kind of an invitation. And there you have two Filipinas nurses who were special guests at the coronation. And one of them, I think, was even given an MBE by uh, the late uh, Queen Elizabeth. I mean, the support that uh, your government gives women truly is is remarkable and here you are supporting women in the philippines ambassador lore so how has it been your meeting with filipino women from the pangsamoro and elsewhere 
Well, first of all, uh, Amina, thank you for saying that about the king. And I should say you are absolutely right that he um, really values the work of Filipino healthcare workers and, and, and women in particular. And it was Her Majesty the Queen, uh, just before she passed away, that awarded the St. George Cross, which is the, the highest civilian honor to a Filipino uh, nurse. Uh, so I think that is really quite remarkable. And we will continue to be celebrating the contribution that uh, Filipino healthcare workers make to, to us uh, and to our NHS in the UK. In terms of being here, I mean, I feel so privileged, um, generally so privileged to be able to work in the Philippines and to be able to meet uh, people across the country. Um, and obviously that includes women in the barm who I've got so much admiration for, whom I'm learning so much from uh, and who teach me about perseverance, um, determination, grit, but also kindness and warmth and humor. Uh, so I, I really feel that I'm incredibly lucky to be working in the Philippines and I'm so delighted. I've got several years to go to continue to build on those relationships and, and to maximize the impact that we can have as the British government in the Philippines. To Ambassador Lor, how are your programs in the Bangsamoro Autonomous Region? I've heard that you are doing uh, a lot of support activities towards the Bangsamoro women combatants, the female combatants of the MILF and maybe the MNLF. So how is that going so far? You're absolutely right. So actually, we have a program in the BARM, which is um, one of our flagship programs and that we're particularly proud of it. And it is our uh, contribution to peace and stability in the region. So it's, the program is, has got a strong focus on institutional development. So um, strengthening the BARM government and the transitional authority, which, as you know, is, is, is the parliament. But we've got a, a really strong focus on on women and and gender as part of that program so one of the things that we do is we support the political empowerment of women um at the grassroots level so um we provide all kinds of training to ensure that they have uh, a seat and a strong voice at the governance table um, and then they run where they choose to as barangay uh, leaders and they establish their own women's organization and, and, and so the the Political empowerment at grassroots level is one key plank. Another plank, which is very much related to that, is working with um, ex-combatant uh, women who are now um, mediators or peace builders, and we work with them and train them and give them the tools to be able to do uh, their work effectively and, and hopefully also the confidence and the belief in themselves and the understanding of their power and their value and the impact that they can have for their communities around them. So I think that's an, a particularly exciting um, flank. But we also know that while we need to work with women at the grassroots, we also need to work with women in decision-making power. So we, we mentor and support women members of parliament um, in the transitional authority, and we support the drafting of policies that support um, women's rights and um, and empower um, women. So we've um, supported the uh, parliament in developing the gender development code, for example, and of course the regional action plan on women, peace and security, which has been really um, essential for us. So I think that those are the different planks that we have in terms of supporting uh, women in the barn. Yeah, you know what, Ayesa, uh, I think the day after the summit on women, peace, and security that we attended in Jakarta, the uh, British ambassador to ASEAN, uh, Ambassador Tiffin, they launched the ASEAN UK, or is it UK ASEAN, a support for the regional plan of action on, on women, peace, and security. So that's, that's pretty cool, actually, because I think that was the, that's the first real commitment made to the ASEAN Regional Plan of Action for Women, Peace, and Security. And then we were just wondering, um, uh, Ambassador Lord, so we, Women, Peace Builders in the Philippines and in Malaysia, um, are we also going to be able to access the, uh, the support of the British government on uh, the Regional Plan of Action for Women, Peace, and, uh, and Security? 
because IESA is very interested in doing a lot of research on how uh, violent extremism is uh, affecting uh, women and how patriarchal uh, societies actually impede uh, the participation of women and increases the chances of their being recruited to extremist movements, right, Ayesa? Yes, of course. Um, as you may know, uh, Malaysia is not, you know, it's not in the same uh, context with Philippines or Indonesia or Thailand where you have an interstate conflict. But nonetheless, yeah, Malaysia has its own women, peace and security issues as well. I mean, I mentioned about um, some uh, instances of women's involvement and girls' involvement, in fact, in violent extremism. And uh, I know that the U.S. Embassy, for one, has been supporting some programs, you know, on how to educate uh, young people uh, against violent extremism. And then, of course, uh, another topic, will most uh, another topic that is popular in Malaysia or more relevant to Malaysia is, you know, the, the security issues of migrant women whether they are refugees, undocumented persons, or uh, spouses of uh, Malaysian citizens. You know, so it has its own uh, context of women peace security issues here in Malaysia. So uh, it will be good you know, if other governments as well would look into it, you know, how we can um, you know, learn from, uh, uh, from your government. You know, how do you deal especially with migration issues? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Great. So, so first of all, thank you for spotting that. You're absolutely right. Um, we have we have a few programs that we deliver through ASEAN, um, five to be precise, and one of them is specifically on women, peace, and security because women, peace, and security is a key priority for the UK government. It's been um, for for decades, quite frankly, and I think we were one of the the leaders that brought um, the now. Seminal Resolution 1325 to the Security Council um, many moons ago. I think it was in the year 2000. Um, but so we wanted to ensure that, that that focus was reflected in our work with ASEAN. And so we've launched this regional program. And it's got two main um, priorities, if you like. The first is to um, fund the implementation of ASEAN regional plans of action on women, peace and security. And to support the creation and implementation of national action plans across the region. So different countries, as you know, uh, are at different stages in terms of their national action plans on women, peace and security. Some already have them, some not, some need to work on implementation. Um, here in the Philippines, we're, we're already working on development. And what we've done working with the BARM is a regional kind of a, a BARM level uh, action plan on uh, women, peace and security. So the trick there, will be to maximize those synergies and ensure that our work feeds into the work that we've done in the barn feeds into the national action plan and that we can maximize coherence and strengthen impact. But then the second um, priority under this regional program is training ASEAN officials on women, peace and security. And I think that's really important, actually, because um, it's about increasing understanding for senior level officials across ASEAN about why this really matters, why this agenda, why are we talking about this? Why is it still relevant, you know, 23 years after um, that Security Council resolution? And what is different in 2023 than then? Because we've seen, we know that women are suffering from different types of risks. You were just naming some of them and different types of um, crises where they are uh, 
predominantly affected. So it's it's obviously conflict, but it's it's climate change, it's conflict over um, natural resources, it's food security, these types of issues. And I think we really have to make sure that this remains at the top of the agenda. And it's really important to us that ASEAN decision makers um, are also, you know, part of that conversation and aware of some of the innovations that are happening across the world and in many ASEAN countries on, on these issues. Yeah. You know what, um, Ambassador Lore, uh, going back to the community level support that uh, the UK Embassy has been giving to uh, Muslim Mindanao, we interviewed and she talks peace one of the former female combatants of the MILF, who's now a mediator, uh, Wilma Madato. And that she was inspiring. Uh, at the time that we did the interview, her husband was in the hospital because they had been ambushed. But in spite of that, her firm resolved that uh, you know, strengthening peace through mediation, uh, conflict resolution, was unwavering. And I was just wondering, Ambassador Lore, um, what further support are you are you providing for former uh, female combatants, whether MILF or MNLF? Because I asked this because in a previous conversation in Mindanao, I found out that many of the former female combatants feel so frustrated because they're not being treated equally as the male former combatants under the peace agreement and i don't think that's fair do you <laughs> oh absolutely not but sadly what you describe in avina is not true just in the barn right we we know uh, that women's voices are seldom listened to in the same fashion as men's voices are and, and, and that's in very senior positions as well right so um we will continue to work with women to give them that confidence to give them the tools to give them the platform because we know it works it works internationally i think the evidence is really really clear now that um i, I think it's peace agreements are 20 percent more likely to be uh, effective and, and last uh, at least two years 20 more 20 percent more likely to be effective where women participate in the negotiations and uh, uh, in the peace building work but at the grassroots level we have all the evidence as well that's what's happening in the barn when women mediators are involved is effective in terms of bringing community together in terms of finding solutions in terms of creatively working together um, to find uh, sustainable solutions in the interest of the community and for everyone involved. And that's why we need women to be doing this because they think about communities and children and, and, and schools and safety and access to basic um, uh, you know, water and, and housing. And they think of all, they think differently sometimes. Now, in terms of, um, what more we will do well we will continue to provide support to these women we will continue to invest with them in them we will continue to work with men uh, because we need obviously men to be champions and to understand um the the, the value of um working with women because it's the right thing to do but also because it's the smart thing to do um and we need male champions we know that um and and i think one of the beauties of, of working in the barn in recent years is we've seen actually a lot of men who have changed their minds and who have become much more uh, aware and uh, supportive of the role that women can play as mediators there will be exceptions and and perhaps uh, in the instance that you refer to amina um, this this mediator is facing uh, some opposition, and I'm I'm not surprised. But we will persevere, and this is you know th this is a long term agenda as well. We're not talking about uh, you know you build peace and you sign a document and it's job done. We're talking about a way of living, a way of working, a way of engaging across communities for the foreseeable future. So let's let's not remember that you know this peace process is still relatively new and so we are we are building we're growing we're maturing uh, together and i'm confident that um what she the experience she's faced will slowly over time um not um be as prevalent uh, anymore it's like a peace process is like raising a child <laughs> giving birth to a baby raising it 
you know, hopefully, if, you know, we reach the adulting part as well. <laughs> but by the way, Ambassador Lore, I mean, having uh, been a diplomat for quite some time now, and you've been working in many different countries, and in some of these country, countries that you've been assigned to are really conflict, you know, countries as well. So were there any um, interesting experiences or challenges uh, or advantage or disadvantages that you experience being a female diplomat in some of these countries? Maybe you can share uh, one um, story uh, that you, you've had in, in some of these countries. Sure. I think, to be honest, um, being female is one thing, and then perhaps a while back, less so now, but being young is also a handicap. And when you combine um, being a young woman, um, it's really, really hard um, to get the same level of respect as an older man, quite frankly. Um, uh, so so that's been a challenge. And um, uh, it's less so now because I'm older, so I'm more confident and I'm a bit more senior. So I'm also able to assert myself and, 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 and have that authority. But it is, you know, it's the combination of, of gender, age, and lack of authority because you don't necessarily have seniority or or a platform. That's, I think, what makes it difficult. But yes, to answer your question, I've been incredibly lucky um, to live in, in wonderful countries and I've learned um, uh, from everywhere I've been and I've enjoyed everywhere I've been. But there have been instances, even when I was um, a pretty, um, you know, experienced diplomat, when I would have men call me sweetheart or darling. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh. <laughs> that makes my blood boil. Uh, so, and, and then, what and do then, you do? What did you do? That happens. You know, when this when that happens, and it's a senior, very senior stakeholder in, in front of you, you have to think fast, and you have to say, "Am I going to challenge this? But at what cost? Or am I going to go with it? Or am I going to try to use humor or make him understand? Or am I just going to, you know, you've got a variety of choices. So I do remember one time where I actually did nothing because it wasn't in my interest ultimately. And other times you try to use humor uh, to diffuse a situation or make your point be understood. Um, and so... I, I tried to. I made a commitment to, uh, a, a few years ago to speak out whenever I hear uh, sexism and or sexist jokes. And actually, the truth is, it's harder to do than one uh, would like. And so, I think I choose my battles. As a, as an older woman, I'm much more able to um, to challenge and to be assertive. But I know for younger women, you know, in, say in the workplace. You have to make those calculations. So I, th I, I guess what I'm saying is as an older diplomat, I, I feel I have more of a responsibility now to challenge the status quo and to because I've got the position that allows me to do that. Yeah, I, I understand completely where you're coming from. Um, now, I mom, mean, uh, now we're really talking. Now we're really talking yeah, as women because it's true. Yeah. <laughs> All of us this, have been this, there. This, this is the thing. In um, some areas, being an older woman is a negative. But when you are in uh, a position of power, being an older woman is a positive because, like you said, if you're young and a woman, that's, you know, it, it, your, your power source is low. But when you're older, more senior, then uh, it's... Uh, it, it empowers you really. And I remember my mom in the Senate and the way she dealt with the macho male senators was to act as a mother. And she told me there are many ways of getting what you want with powerful men. You can argue and it's going to take you forever or you can find a weakness and sort of work around it. So she became their mother. And if they, she saw some of, uh, one of them looking ill, she said, are you okay? Can I get you tea? Would you like a sandwich? And it turns out that that rather worked. And uh, most of her bills, including the one that uh, uh, mandated that government has to provide X percent of the budget, for women, 
and the one that opened the Philippine Military Academy to women were supported by her male co- uh, counterparts. But the thing is, Ambassador Lore, we shouldn't have to to do that, right? If we should be acknowledged based on our our skill set, our our capacity. And I was just wondering, in, what have you seen in uh, the diplomatic circles? Is feminist diplomacy, you know, finding a home uh, both in the UK and in the other government's um, uh, diplomatic circles? Because I remember Ambassador uh, Albert, who was our foreign secretary for a while in episode one, uh, she and Ambassador Tobing were saying, well, we're still hoping that uh, you know feminist diplomacy will find its way in ASEAN. But in your experience, is it becoming a thing, feminist diplomacy? Yes. So first of all, to, uh, to just comment on the first part of what you were saying, I think you're absolutely right. In theory, we shouldn't compromise. But the truth is, we also know this is a a, a long-term journey and trajectory. And so this is a a commitment of a lifetime, right? Um, And so we should keep our eye on on that long-term prize of gender equality. And that might not be a direct road. So there will be times where we have to think tactics and, and when we have to make decisions as to whether we speak out or not. But on your second question, is feminist diplomacy becoming a thing? Yes. And, and one of the wonderful things that I've observed in recent years, say in the last 10 years, is the real um, strengthened camaraderie amongst women in general and women diplomats in particular. So, um, you know, there used to be that notion um, that women were sometimes a bit bitchy with each other, pardon the word. That there was backstabbing and that girls in the playground were just not not nice because, you know, there was always a hidden agenda. I've seen that change. I, I'd be interested in your views. I see women being much more supportive of each other, um, helping each other out, um, you know, in a room saying this woman's got this talent. This woman's got this amazing experience and just giving each other that little lift. Um, I see that a lot more now. And in the workplace, I see that a lot. I must say I take particular um, joy in mentoring and coaching the young women diplomats or or, or other um, staff women uh, in the office to just give them that opportunity to let them believe in themselves and let them shine. So I don't know whether that is feminist diplomacy. It's not. It's it, That's just ways of working as women that give us more of a place in diplomacy. Um, but I think we are increasingly present and confident um, in in the diplomatic space. In terms of feminist diplomacy, I also think that's changing. So as the UK, for the first time this year, we launched um, uh, a strategy on women and girls that basically said, we're going to put women and girls at the heart of all of our foreign and development policy. So that's absolutely clear. We've spoken about women, peace and security, um, but as the UK, we've also championed um, preventing sexual violence in conflict as a key initiative behind which we're putting a lot of money. Our, our women and girls strategy is about wanting to create partnerships to ensure that women's rights are not just respected, but that we promote women actively, um, both because it's the right thing to do, but also because it is the best way to achieve uh, lasting peace and prosperity and security. So, I th- and, and I don't think we're an anomaly as the UK to put women's rights at the heart of our foreign policy. It's, um, it's, it's something that we're seeing a lot. And I'm uh, excited to say that here in the Philippines, when I look at ambassadors, whether they be male or female, they're all always promoting women's rights. They are always supporting women's rights organizations. They're championing these things. So I think we've we've turned a corner um, and uh, the general recognition of the importance of this agenda. Now, that's not to say that we've delivered on our ambition. Um, so that's the next challenge, right? So the Women, Peace and Security agenda, for example, has been around for a long time. And we still know that despite that, women are not participating on equal terms in peace process. There, We still see levels of sexual violence that are abominable. And we see that today in Ukraine, and there's 
absolutely no excuse for it. So we must continue um, to to you know talk about these things continuously, to use different platforms to talk about these things, and to focus on delivery and what works, and get that evidence base, um, and and to create coalitions to support that that the vision that we have. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ambassador Lor, having experience working and living in the Philippines, do you think you know we have similarities when it comes to women's uh, issues in in UK and in Philippines, and how uh, generally? Uh, I mean, and I believe that Filipino women are really brave, and I think we're pretty assertive. So, do you you know do you see that kind? Uh, you know, are we? Uh, do we have a lot of similarities or differences with our counterparts, uh, British women counterparts, when it comes to women's movements and all that? So, uh, h- how does it feel, you know, uh, uh, experiencing it in uh, in Philippines when it comes to women's movement? Um, it feels great because you're absolutely right. Um, I'm always meeting really confident. Um, articulate, assertive, impactful women across uh, government, civil society, academia, business, you name it. And and that's great. And my my boss, my director general was just here last week and she was commenting on it. She says, oh, it's so refreshing. You know, we were going to meetings and there was just women sitting opposite from us and they were brilliant. So I think we see that a lot and we celebrate it and it's so refreshing uh, as a woman to just have another woman in front of you quite frankly um but that's not to say that there aren't challenges so you know sadly the issue of violence is um prevalent across the world i don't think we can talk enough about um sexual violence domestic violence we i mean i personally feel we should be talking about this relentlessly um because it's everywhere across all the countries um, that we were, that we well, all countries in the world. So I think that's um, uh, something we need to continue to work on um, and shed a light on. Um, and I think in the Philippines, I'd say you know on the on the economic and political side, um, empowerment is really streets ahead of lots of other countries. Um, there may be more challenge today on the reproductive health side, um, and that's um, an area that I think is also worth talking about, quite frankly, although I understand it's culturally much more difficult to do that and, and quite sensitive. But there may be entry points, you know, just about access to reproductive health um, services. Um, and there, there are different ways to talk about um, uh, challenges, and I, I don't think we should shy away from doing that or... Um, be nervous because because of the cultural uh, issue, which could also be manipulated um, when people don't want to to talk about the, uh, particular challenges. Yeah. And maybe child marriage. It's a very Divorce, important uh, issue, you know? as you yes, well know, Ambassador. Yeah, it's really important and. And uh, to be honest, I, I I wish it were more part of the public discourse, and I don't really see it as as much as I would expect, given um, some of the challenges that we have in in this space. Yeah, we we are we are looking uh, into into that um, issue because it's uh, it's very troubling for a country that has been very progressive when it comes to protection of children, but you know. Um, I was just um, uh, remembering uh, the administration of the late uh, President Fidel B. Ramos. He wanted really to be fully supportive of uh, family planning. But at the time, it was all colored by the by birth control and abortion issues. 
But the Secretary of Health, uh, Dr. Flavier, was a really great guy, very uh, down-to-earth, loved telling stories. So people loved him. And the way they did it, in spite of the very strong opposition by the church and other faith-based organizations, they built it really as health, uh, maternal health and uh, planning of, of families. And uh, they just put their backs into it and um, moved the wheels of government so that under the term of President uh, Ramos, we had full support by the Department of Health for these services. That has sort of gone downhill uh, since then. And I am hopeful that uh, uh, the president now, uh, President Marcos, would be able to find uh, you know, the political will to again support the needs of uh, mothers for uh, maternal health care. Because one of our guests, Ayesa, uh, Marilyn uh, Danilan, was talking about the high mortality rates of uh, mothers during childbirth and uh, definitely we have to we have to pay attention to that and uh, i know that the british government is also supporting services um, such as that so and amina there is no there is no statistics on that yeah there is no conscious effort yeah. of collecting data especially in the barn because the last statistic they had was in 2017 and a lot of things already happened from 2017 to, to present. So, yeah, there really needs to be more effort on that. Yeah. So, Ambassador Noor, um, before we go, um, maybe you can tell us and our audience as well, you know, how do you see the future relationship between UK and, and Philippines, and especially in relation to um, the WPS agenda? For, for for the whole of ASEAN you know, in terms of uh, uh, mutual uh, programming and of course you know pursuing uh, peace and security in in all over the world you know as part of the United Kingdom's uh, agenda as well. Great, thank you. I, and I'm sorry we're wrapping up. I could have spoken to both of you for hours on end on some of these important issues and, and the need for political will to make change happen sometimes, right? Um, uh, and courage, because it often doesn't happen by itself. But to answer your question, um, Dr. Ayesa, so uh, it, the, the UK is growing in the Philippines. Um, our embassy is growing. We are um, investing in a long-term relationship we're trying to do really substantive things uh, that make a real difference, a real life difference to people's lives um, and have quantifiable impact. Um, so you can see that across everything that we do, whether it is to do with climate change and environment and biodiversity to business and trade uh, to um, uh, human rights or, or science and technology. Um, in terms of um, the Women, Peace and Security Agenda, it is a commitment that um, uh, our uh, government has made over decades that we will continue to champion this agenda and we will definitely continue to do that in um, the Philippines. The, the program we have in the BARM is really um, a jewel in our crown. We're really proud of it. We're really proud to be able to work with such inspirational women in particular and women um, peace builders. Um, and Yes, I, I, I want to say to them as well, if I may, uh, that we're really grateful for their partnership and we thank them for that. We think their work is is essential and, and it's not just essential, it's it's transformational and it works. Um, so we will continue to invest in that because, because as I said, it, it does work. And so these women are um, hugely appreciated and valued by us and, and we see them and we will stand by them. Thank you so much, Ambassador Lor. Uh, if I may use a Filipino term that you used in an interview, you show malasakit. Uh, now, that's for all kind. Of our listeners there, <laughs> Ambassador Lor shocked the Filipino reporters when she used malasakit and said it like a Filipino. Mm. Oh, yeah. And I use malasakit, so there's no English word for it. Uh, so no, it's, it's a beautiful word. It's, it's very loaded with with kindness and care. 
But before we leave, um, Ambassador Lore, perhaps you would like to give a message to our listeners, potential peace builders or potential diplomats who are listening to us today. Sure, I'd love to. Well, um, if I'm talking to women in particular, um, I think the first thing I, I would say is that we really need more and more women to be uh, diplomats or peace builders and peacemakers. Um, you have a critical role to play in this space and you can make a real difference to people's lives by engaging and believing in yourself. Um, and there will be um, bumps on the way. It's not linear, but it's a journey worth um, embarking on um, because of the real world difference that you can make it as an individual in, in communities and in countries and in promoting social justice and, and those values that we've just spoken about, you know, kindness, well-being, peace and, and stability. So um, I, I, I would like to be able to inspire your listeners and to say, tell them um, that, yes, we've got their back as the British government. Um, we want to hear from them. We salute them. Um, and um, we are very, very grateful for their work. Thank you so much, thank, Ambassador Thank you. Thank you, Ambassador Lord. Thank you for having me on this fabulous podcast. I must say I'm such a fan of it. And I think it's breaking grounds and playing such an important part in the agenda we've just been talking about, bringing different voices, um, bringing different communities, creating that dialogue. Um, it's really wonderful to, to be able to be on this podcast that I've been listening to for such a long time. Oh, well, thank, thank you, you for that. <laughs> yes, uh, doesn't that give you more gasoline to move yes. this little vessel forward? More energy. <laughs> more energy. <laughs> Okay, I will try my best to juggle between teaching and doing she talks piece. <laughs> thank you so much, Ambassador Lore, and thank again you, to all to all our viewers. Uh, don't forget that you can actually email us at she talks piece podcast at gmail .com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and please continue uh, to look forward to our uh, episodes. And you can make suggestions or um, some clarifications from any of our episodes. So again, from uh, Al-Bukhari International University here in Kadah, Malaysia, Amina. And this is Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy in Manila saying, hope you enjoyed our 100th episode with Ambassador Lord Bofis and join us for another 100 episodes to come. Bye for now. Bye, everybody. Bye, Ambassador Lore. Thank you Bye, again. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.